Christmas stuff that's been going on, but so thankful for it to see the lights. We had the special services, and uh, it was uh, just a, a sweet service uh, earlier this week with the candlelight service, and, and the cookies weren't half bad neither, uh, so that was good. It was a good time just to have everyone uh, to gather and to come around, and, and uh, now we're, we're preparing now for the, for the new year, and as we come today to God's Word, I want to read for us 1 John chapter number 3, verse 11 down through 17, which is uh, what that whole booklet covers, but today we're going to be covering verses 12 and, and 13 specifically. Um, it's probably what we'll have time for today. It tells us this, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he them? Because his own works were evil, and his brothers righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life. Let me read that again. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? And so let's look today, as we've been looking through, we, we began last week with verse 11. This is the message that you heard from the beginning. And we've been talking about this because John, all throughout this letter, in the first three chapters have said, you've heard this from the beginning, you've heard this from the beginning. John, nor am I this morning trying to tell you anything new. This is something that is, is of old. This is something that Christ had taught his disciples. This is something that still that Christ expects of his disciples and by the way, the disciples are not just the 12 there, but if you are a follower of Christ, that makes you a disciple. That's what it means to be a disciple. It means to be a dedicated follower, a dedicated uh, soul who is literally putting everything aside to learn and to be like Christ. That's what all of us would say, but we often don't refer to ourselves as disciples. We often say, well, I'm trying to be like Christ. Well, that's to be a disciple. It's dedicated it's a life of humility. It's a life that seeks Christ above all else. It is a life like the John the Baptist who said, I must decrease, he must increase. And so that is the life of a disciple. It is that we are continuously uh, being humbled and humbling ourselves before the Lord so that he might increase, so that his glory might be shown, so that he might be given the glory of which he deserves. Now, John has been dealing with a tremendous amount of issues in this book so far. And as we come to this portion, he's really getting to what it means to, to love someone, what it also means to hate someone, right? To hate someone is literally the opposite of to love them, where love is uh, self, uh, selfless and it's self-sacrificial and it is self-giving. It, it gives oneself to another. Hate does the opposite. Hate is about self-gratification self-love, uh, uh, feeling and filling up oneself's uh, desires and all of these things. And so now John comes to this place where he says that we should love one another. Now, what he's about to do, and as we've dealt with so far a little bit in this uh, passage, is the issue of there being two seeds. Right? There are two seeds literally from the beginning. Ever since the first fall of man there in the garden, there from the garden, from the very first sin all the way to today, there are two types of people, all right? And it is not based on what you see on the outside. It is not based on how much money you got in your checking account. It is not based on where you live, where you come from. There are two types of people, those 
who are of the household of faith or those who are the faithful seed, the faithful lineage, those who are followers of the Lord, those who know Christ, and then the unfaithful. They are known for their unrighteous deeds, their unrighteous manners. They, they live in darkness because they are still a part of the kingdom of darkness. This is why Christ has come to deliver them from the works of the devil, to deliver them from uh, the power of sin. As He had just said earlier on in this chapter, um, he that commit, in verse number 8, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. But this side over here, the faithful seed, they are the ones that are born of God, that are the children of God, and they are no longer the children of the devil as this seed is. Now this is very important. The unfaithful, they're, they're unrighteous. They are what John has called earlier on in chapter 2, as a matter of fact, chapter 2, verse 18, that they are antichrists. Now when you think of antichrist, you think of the one big antichrist in the tribulation period who goes about to deceive and all of these things. Now, antichrists are those who are against Christ or not Christ-like or teach a false gospel. And there are plenty of antichrists in the world today. There are plenty of antichrists in John's world, and there are plenty today. This has not changed. As a matter of fact, the spirit of antichrist goes all the way back to the garden as the serpent himself goes and whispers the lies to Eve. And so this spirit has been very much there and alive and well. It is a spirit of rebellion. It is a spirit that seeks to go against God. That is the spirit that you and I used to live in before Christ. We were against God whether we knew we were or not. And this is why Christ has come to deliver us, to break those chains, to break that bondage. Now, he then discusses uh, what it means to be faithful here. The faithful is righteous, positionally righteous because of Christ, practically living out our righteousness. We believe the message from the beginning and we love God and man, because you would not love man unless you first love God, but you would not love God unless you first have experienced the love of God that is found at the cross of Jesus. Plain and simple. Now, notice this. You are either one or the other. There's no middle ground. Everyone wants the middle ground. Everyone wants to find that middle ground where I can be, you know, have one foot in the world, one foot that lives how I want, and then the other foot straddles over here, right? It lives how, you know, God wants me to, right? That, that is not the case here. John clearly shows that we're not called to straddle a fence here. There is no fence straddling in the Christian life or in a true believer's life. You are either all in or what does that mean? If you're, all in, if you're not all in, that means you're, you're all out, right? You're not in at all. And those were those antichrists of John's day. Now, here's what he says. You've heard the message from the beginning that we should love one another. And here's how he teaches how to love one another. First, by giving the negative. He says, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore, and, and, uh, wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. This is what we're going to be dealing with today. Now, if you want more of Cain and Abel and all that stuff and some more depth, I encourage you. Uh, to come to our Genesis study on, on Tuesday nights. Um, we are going uh, through it verse by verse, and we're going to be getting to that here shortly. And by shortly, I mean sometime between now and springtime, all right? Uh, but you'll get a little bit more detail, probably a little bit more meat than what I'm able to maybe give today. Um, we'll see. But it says here, not as Cain. First of all, Cain could be seen as the father of the unfaithful seed. 
to a degree in this. You say, well, Adam was the federal head of humanity. So when Adam sins, the world is thrust into sin. That means his boys, Cain and Abel, are born with sin natures because of Adam's sin. However, Cain is about to commit perhaps one of the most grievous of sins that there ever is. To slay another, let alone to slay one's own flesh and blood. To slay his brother. And we're going to talk about what that means. It's so after Cain, uh, you can read back, and we'll address it uh, probably just a few moments. There, the Genesis account, you see it does not take long after Cain goes and does that. That you see several generations that come after that are full of all sorts of wickedness. And it doesn't take much longer after that that we get to the place where the world is so wicked, where mankind is so rebellious that God has enough. And God sends a preacher. God sends Noah to preach and to build an ark and gives him 120 years to do it. And he says, I'm going to bring rain. I'm going to bring a flood and destroy all things unless it gets on that ark. The only folks that would get on that ark would be Noah, his wife, his three boys, and their wives. Eight folks. And then every animal two by two. And then of some clean ones, uh, adding some extra for sacrificial reasons. You can look at that later. But what he saves them in the ark is a, a picture of Christ. Now when we come here, I want to look at Thatcher here, one commentator. He writes, from John's dualistic perspective, those who do not love believers must hate them the way Cain hated Abel, leading him to murder his own brother. In the context of 1 John 3, Cain's act of murder symbolizes the Antichrist's departure from John's fellowship. Now here what we see is these Antichrists over in chapter 2, they had left. They said, John, hey, you know, you've got your thing going on, but we've got a higher knowledge. We've got a higher understanding of who Jesus is. Now, mind you, that was a bunch of baloney because John literally walked with Jesus. He was called John the Beloved, the beloved Disciple. If anyone knew Jesus, he did. And not to mention the fact that John had been allowed by God to live the longest out of any other apostle. Uh, matter of fact, he's going to be the only remaining one uh, at the time of his death. And so, we see uh, that, that God has, has used John and, and that John certainly knows Christ. Therefore, John knows Jesus' teaching. But there were those who came about uh, in a way in which they said, well, we like Jesus and, and we appreciate Jesus, but we have a, a better understanding maybe than what you do of him or of what he was teaching. And, and so they left the faith because they were teaching a false gospel. And by the way, when someone is teaching a false gospel or someone is teaching something that is a heresy specifically in that regard to their view of Christ, Christology, the study of Jesus and who he is and his character, his works, his attributes, all those things. When someone teaches a false Christ and they are themselves uh, even little antichrist, it is better for them to, one, we want to repent to get their hearts right. That's option one. Option two is to get gone. Right. Those who do those who preach a false gospel in the church of God are not truly a part of the church of God, nor should they take part in the church of God. We don't like folks to, to, to leave or things like that. But there are some folks who are actually like these antichrists who are wolves in sheep's clothing. Right. They can with their little wolf voices pretend to be a sheep. They'll try to let out a, a bat every now and again and they'll be wrapped up in some wool. But guess what? They're still gnarling, vicious, savage wolves. And that's what these false gospels, that's what these false preachers were. One cannot love God and hate Him. 
And here what John is showing, this dualism that if you, you either are right or you're wrong, you're either in Christ or you're out. You're either preaching the right gospel or you're preaching a false gospel. There is no in-between. So one cannot love God and also hate Him. It doesn't make sense, does it? It can't happen. And one cannot love God's people and hate them either. One thing that has been shown throughout the past couple of years is there have been many people who have left the church. Some for, other, some for many, many reasons, to be honest. But there's been a multitude of reasons why people have left churches over the past few years. But there's been one big issue that has happened is that many have not come back to church. Maybe not the same church, but they have not come back to church at all. That, that preaches the Bible, that worships Christ and all those things. They have not come back to a biblical church. And they've used excuses of, well, I don't need church to worship God. Certainly, that statement isn't of itself true. We don't need to come to church to worship the Lord. I worshiped the Lord this morning on my walk, listening to music and praying. It was great. But guess what? If you love Christ, you will love His church. If, by the way, though, there are many who would say that they love church, but their actions and their life would show that they don't love Christ. You will not truly be able to give love to the church unless you truly give love in your heart to Christ. You will not have one, the other. You will not be hot, cold, hot, cold, all this. One or the other. And those who truly love Jesus will truly love His church. Now, that does not mean that they like going to church all the time. It does not mean that you just go to be a part of something. This is not a club. This is not a group. This is not a place where you buy in your membership yearly. This is a place that is a body of believers who are unified through the gospel of Christ because he has bought us with a great price, and that price was his own shed blood. And he has made us now to be one body uh, under one Lord, one faith, one baptism, all of these things that the, the, the Scripture teaches us. And so there is a unity. That's what the church is. The church is not just a building, but the church gathers together in this building. And it should not be forsaken because if our hearts love Christ, our hearts will then love church and want to be a part of it. To be a part of church does not mean that we just attend, but rather it goes, well, how do I fit into this, right? How do I fit on this team? How do I fit a part of this? Where's my part in the family here? Every family around Christmas time, right, you get together, have food and stuff, but everybody knows that Aunt Bertha, she makes potato salad, right? That's what she brings. And then we know that Aunt Margaret, I don't know why these, if this is your family, I'm sorry, right? Aunt Bertha, she brings potatoes out. Aunt Margaret, she brings the homemade rolls, right? Now, one year you're not going to have Bertha bring the rolls and Margaret bring the potatoes out. Why? Because they do what they do. She's good at potatoes out. She's good at making the homemade rolls. So what should they do? Make the potato salad, make the rolls to the glory of God for the family. One shouldn't try to do what the other one is called to do. So, but notice how they fit apart as the same family. We both need the potato salad and the rolls, don't we? And we need both of them to come and to be a part and to, to contribute this great deal. Now, let's look past potato salad and rolls. Spiritually speaking, to be a part of the church of God, to be a member, does not simply mean that we show up to the family function. But it means that we show up to the family function with whatever gift that we come to bring. Whether it is potato salad or rolls, or deviled eggs, whatever it might be. I'm trying to put it to where us Baptists can understand what we're talking about here, okay? Now, spiritually, though, if you're a giver, if you're an encourager, if you're, uh, 
if you're a singer or maybe you're uh, good, you're just really friendly. You can talk to, you could talk and make, make friends with a tree. Well, then guess what? You should be a creator. You should be on our card ministry or, or all these things. We find that in the church of God, if you truly know and love Christ, that there is a place for you. Come and be a part. Come and, and, and be used of God. That's the beauty and the glory of the church. There is not, I, I like church, but I don't know about Jesus. Or uh, I like Jesus, but I don't like church. Because if you actually like Jesus, if you actually know Jesus, you will love church. And you will love to be a part of it. You'll love to see how God works through his church. Because, by the way, that's how God works today. Through his people. Now, none of that's in your booklet. That's, that's all for free. John Stott goes on and writes about this, and he says, With the mutual love which is commanded us, John immediately contrasts the behavior of Cain, his hatred originated in the devil, the evil one, and issued in murder, indeed, in an act of brutal slaughter. The word is faction, is rendered by law, butchered. It is not only sin in general, which is of the devil, but hatred and murder in particular. For as Jesus said, the devil was a murderer from the beginning, John 8, 44, end quote. To be as Cain or to love your brother like Cain loved his brother means that you are of the devil. Would anyone in here want to say um, that they have a, have a love or, a, or a, a relationship like Jezebel? Would anybody want that? No. Right, you and I laugh because we immediately know the name and associate it with those evil deeds and unrighteousness. How about this? Anybody in here, is anyone in here a brother? Have a physical brother. I'm an only child. I can't raise my hand. All right. So that means, does anyone else have a brother? All right. Good, good. All right. That's most everybody. Okay. Um, am, I, am I the, only, am I the only, only child here? No? Okay. Hey, the two of us, right? Way to go, Brent. <laughs> um, but for the rest of you guys, you know what this is like. You have a sibling, brother, sister, right? Now, let me ask you. You, let me not ask you that. Right? You love your sibling, all right? <laughs> let me just tell you, you love your sibling. At least you're supposed to. Now, would, you, would it be true if you loved your sibling, but you murdered them in their sleep? Not much love there, is it? Now, you can still love them maybe and, and maybe steal a toy every now and again, right? Well, maybe. It's not as bad as murder. But how, how about, look at this. You wouldn't say, or your mom or your dad wouldn't look and say, oh, they just... They love each other like Cain and Abel. Right, they wouldn't say that, would they? Why? Because there's no love there. As a matter of fact, what is there is, is hatred. A hatred that actually led to a loss of life. Here, Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil who has been sinning and murdering from the beginning. What we find is that a part of that is as well to destroy the hatred that you might have in your heart. You might say this morning, Pastor Joe, I don't have any hatred in my heart. Well, that might be so, or it also might not be so. Many of us have hatred or bitterness in our heart towards an individual or, or people um, that maybe have done us wrong or, or maybe we've had um, uh, some sort of battle or struggle with, and we've never quite letting it go. You could say, well, I don't, I don't really love them, but I don't hate them. Well, if you don't love them, then what does that mean? To not love means to hate. Now, you and I would say that we don't want to go that far. Of course not, because that would mean that our hearts would have to change. And I don't like that as much as you don't. But when we look at the scripture, it is evident. He says, if we are to love one another, then we don't do it like Cain did. 
Now here, turn with me now to Genesis chapter number 4. Hold our place there. Genesis chapter number 4. I want us to look briefly, and it's going to have to be brief. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 through 8. It says, And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. No, I keep going. All right. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Notice the difference between the two boys, all right? They're both boys. They're both going to grow up to be men. And one, he keeps the sheep. That means he's a shepherd. He's out in the field. He's out in the wilderness. He protects these sheep, takes care of them. But then it says Cain was a tiller of the ground. You know what that means? He's a farmer. All right, simple. Both are needed. Both are admirable. Both are especially needed in a fallen world now where Adam and Eve and their kids can't just walk up in the garden and pick a fruit off a tree and say, man, that supper was great, Mom. Right? It don't work that way. Sin has now uh, thrown them into a place where they have to work for their food. They have to protect their belongings. They have to build a life. It says in verse number three, and in the process of time, how much time? Don't know. In the process of it. Okay. It says in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. That sounds nice. It says, and then when it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. It becomes quite the tragedy here. We go from verse 1, a child is born. There is elation when the child is born. Adam and Eve have Cain, and you can only imagine, I mean, for any mom out there, there is this sort of joy. I mean, even for those who aren't mothers, when you see a newborn baby, what do you immediately do? No, you go, oh, look how sweet. You can't help but smile at a newborn. Why? Because of the innocence and the joy that is before you. There's a reason why they call them a bundle of joy, all right? There's a reason. And then we see the tragedy goes, they grow up, in their sinful condition, and they come to bring offering. One, here we find, according to the Scripture in Hebrews 11.4, that Abel offers his sacrifice of the first thing of his flock by faith and with praise. He does so as the faithful seed. Abel comes about worship the right way. He comes about with the proper sacrifice. The Bible still says, and always is, True, in that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. These boys would have known that. How would those boys would have known that? One, I want you to come to Genesis, and our study, and find out more. But two, I'm going to tell you right now. The reason why they certainly would have known that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, is because they have literally been clothed their entire life and seen their parents be clothed their entire life in the clothing of the skins of animals. How do you get clothes from skins of animal? The animal doesn't just give it up to you. You have to butcher or slaughter that animal, tan the hides, 
and to then make clothing for yourself. Now, who had done that first? God had done that for Adam and Eve first because they had sinned. It was not Adam and Eve, but Adam and Eve there learned in that moment the great lesson of the rest of their life that there will be no remission, there will be no clothing, there will be no reconciliation without the shedding of blood. This would be ultimately the beautiful picture of Christ, the Lamb of God, who would literally have His blood shed for us to clothe us in not uh, a skin of an animal, but rather to clothe us in His righteousness. Not clothed in our own, because ours is just filthy rags, but be clothed in His righteousness. Sorensen writes, Of note is the word translated as slew. And here we find in Genesis 4, uh, verse number 8, that Abel and his brother and slew him. He says, Of note is the word translated as slew. It implies violent death, such as cutting another's throat. The word is also used to refer to slaughter or butchering. Insight is thus given into how Cain murdered his brother. We are not 100% certain how he did it, but we know it was much of the same way a butchering would take place. He, he literally, the hate in his heart rose up so great against his brother in the way that God had accepted a sacrifice that he slew him. Much the same way that his brother would have slewed those sheep that he sacrificed to God. Can you imagine such a thing? It's unimaginable. It's unfathomable to think that a brother would do such to his brother. But this is exactly what hate does. This is exactly why God says through John that we love one another not as Cain. As one commentator writes, jealousy lay behind his hatred. Not the jealousy which covets another's greater gifts, but that which represents another's greater righteousness. The envy which made the Jewish priests demand the death of Jesus. Jealousy, hatred, murder is a natural and terrible consequence. And notice how the three build on one another. Jesus would go on to say, though, that just because you have not uh, murdered someone physically does not mean that you have not committed murder in your heart. Jesus says that to hate someone in your heart is to commit murder. And so you very well may have never physically slew anyone, butchered anybody, beaten anybody, killed anybody, but your heart very well may have. You might have heard a phrase like this, and it's a terrible phrase. So-and-so is dead to me. Anyone ever heard that phrase before? Whether in a movie or... Right? It's, it's terrible. It should send some sort of shiver down your spine to think that such a statement is being said. However, what we find is that if we have hatred in our heart, it's the same thing as murder. It is no different than what Cain did physically and literally to his brother Abel. Cruz writes, The text of Genesis, while implying that it was because Cain's actions were evil, that his offering was not accepted by the Lord, and that it was because of Abel's righteous actions that the Lord accepted his offering, does not specify the nature of their respective actions. However, the writer to the Hebrews reflecting on the text of Genesis 4 notes that, according to uh, Hebrews 11.4, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. As far as that writer was concerned, what differentiated Abel from Cain was the former's faith and presumably the latter's lack of it. The difference between Cain and Abel was the difference between being the unrighteous seed 
and the righteous seed, as we talked about earlier. The unrighteous seed, Cain, was full of hate. Was full of, uh, before he was full of hate, he was full of jealousy. The Lord looked down and accepted his brother's offering, and he goes, I brought you some fruits and vegetables, maybe even the best that he had in the ground. He might have had a, a 12-foot-long carrot, for all I know. I don't know what he brought, but he brought fruits and veggies of the ground of his own work, of his own hands. And guess what? In order to be right before God, there is nothing in your own hands that you can bring. As, as the songwriter uh, has given to us in a hymn, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. There's nothing of which that you and I can bring God that is of worthwhile, not enough fruits or vegetables, not enough offering, not enough good works. It is all in righteousness. It is as filthy rags. So what can we bring? What this seed brings. This seed over here, what Abel brings, it's not just the fact that he brings innocent blood. It is not just the way in which he offers the offering, but it is that he does so with faith. Notice the difference. He does so with faith. Faith is the difference between loving and hating someone. Faith in the Lord and His Word and His promises and His expectations is the difference between having love in one's heart and being able to love one another. And then not having faith would be to love one another like Cain loved his brother. By the way, we would certainly make the argument that Cain did not love his brother. He hated his brother. Jealousy led to hatred. Hatred led to murder. He says, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, slew his brother. Wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Notice this today. That sin builds upon sin. And what it does is it ultimately brings about destruction. Sin is a bad place to start. Sin will ultimately lead to a bad end. Sin here, in the context of John's writing, not as Cain, Cain literally has one small sin, but the root of his sin goes back to one place. One reason. You know the reason why that Cain sinned in the way in which he did? There was no faith. The reason you and I sin against God, because in that moment, we don't have the faith that He is who He says He is. We don't have the faith that His Word says what it says and means what it means. We are choosing not to have the faith that we are called to live up to what God has said for us to do. You would say, well, I've never thought those thoughts when I sin. No, but your sin has said those very things. Our sin says, God, I don't believe that you're this or that. God, I don't believe that uh, you're worthy of me being clean and pure and holy before you. Your sin and my sin when we sin, it, it says all of these things. It speaks volumes. Notice the effects here. There is what I would call the head, the heart, and the hands. The progression. Before, before we get to Cain slaying his brother, his thinking has already been wrong. The way in which he thought about God, the way in which he thought about sacrifice to God, the way in which he thought about how God accepted his brother's sacrifice, he had all the wrong things in his head. But where does the head go? The head then trickles to the heart. Then in his heart, he believed the wrong things about God. 
how come, how come God likes my brother and doesn't like me? How come God loves him and not me? How come God loves so-and-so and not me? Is that really the case, though? No, his thinking was wrong. His head was wrong. Therefore, his heart, his belief was wrong. And in his heart now grows dark and cold, not just towards God, which we see in the sacrifice, but we see towards his own brother. You won't commit physical murder unless your head and your heart have been come and now lead to the hands. His head has convinced him, my brother deserves to die. I'll just kill him. What does it matter? It's not that big of a deal. He deserves it. I deserved good things. I deserve God's. I deserve this. I deserve that. His heart now believes it. And now his head and his heart have gotten together and have plotted this death against his brother. You go, how do we know he plotted it? Because he literally invites his brother for a talk. We don't know what they're talking about. We don't know how they're talking. But they go from talking to then his brother uh, is being killed by his own hands. Butchered, slain. This is important for all of us. Bad thinking, or as one would call it, stinking thinking, all right, leads to bad belief. Bad belief leads to bad living. And none of that is of faith. Faith truly always, before we love one another, faith is truly the source of our love. Faith in God, faith in His Word, allows us then to love God and then to love other people. But we will not be able to if we have wrong thinking about who God is and who we are, if we have a wrong belief about who God is and who we are and how we are to live, will lead to bad living. It will lead to us being bitter, cold against God or against our brothers and sisters in the faith. May it be said that we don't love like Cain loved, but rather we love like Christ loved. Sacrificial, completely and totally giving of oneself without expecting anything else in return. May we love the way Jesus loves us even now. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time. We thank You for Your Word. I pray, God, that You would um, help us to have these lessons put into our heart. God, that you would strengthen us, encourage us now, and prepare us for this worship service. Lord, that we might sing your praises, that our hearts might be full, that our hearts might be prepared to honor you and glorify you in all things. We love and we thank you for this time. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.